Good afternoon, brothers and sisters in Christ. This afternoon, the scripture reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Philippians, chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Reading from chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being with of the same having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let you, each of you look not only to be his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought us who thought he, who though he was in the form of God, did not come count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on the name. Is above every name. So, that at the time of, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee, should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the name of the word. Thanks be to God. Christ, as we receive the gospel reading, the Gospel reading for this evening is found in the Gospel according to St. Luke at the 18th verse, beginning at verse 9. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, reading from verse 9 to verse 14. <coughs> and he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. <coughs> will you please be seated? You know, for those of us who perhaps missed it, the challenge for us here in All Saints as we close the year and begin 2023 is to lift out this lifestyle of, of, of is to lift up this life that is worthy of the calling that God has set for us in the church and in the community. And based on the text in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, Paul states the five attributes that is needed to achieve this which can be easily remembered 
by looking at the five fingers in our left hand. And I hope you remember what are the five attributes because I'm going to test you all now, all right? <laughs> okay, for those of you who were there, can you remember the first one? The thumb represents humility, correct. Second finger, gentleness. Third finger, patience. Danny, keep quiet, Danny. Fourth finger, love. And the last finger, humility or peace, all right? Now, if you want to find out why, how is this related, the attributes related to the five finger, go and ask those who know the answer. Danny knows the answer, okay? so you can find Danny at the end of the service. And so over the next few months, <coughs> what we're going to do, we're going to explore deeper as we look into each of these five attributes and see how we can apply them into our everyday life so that we can, when we eventually see God, God can look at us and say, yes, Bobby, yes, Carl, yes, Dean, you have lived this worthy life because you have practiced these five attributes. And so for today, <coughs> we want to start off by looking at humility. How can we live this life of humility? So much so that God sees it as a life that is worthy. And so with that, I can invite you to just bow your heads as we come to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> so gracious and heavenly Father, we want to thank you. The, your word is always so readily available for us. We pray, Lord, that you teach us that as we begin this new year, teach us how to live this life, a life of humility, so that it can be praising to you. Father, we pray that the words that will be spoken this evening, though it may be harsh words, though it may be words that is difficult, but nevertheless, you change us. For those of us who need to be changed, to need to learn to be humble, Lord, we pray for your spirit to just move in us. In Jesus' name we pray. <coughs> Amen. You know, living among people <coughs> is never an easy thing, isn't it? Whether you are living with your family members or whether you are living together, working together with your colleagues, or maybe even, you know, as living together here as a church, you will know that it is never an easy thing. Why? Simply because it is difficult because people, you and I, we are complex. People are diverse beings. <laughs> no one person is the same, isn't it? And thank God for that. <clears throat> because can you imagine... One Pastor Joseph is enough. Can you imagine if there are more than one Pastor Joseph? I think it would be too noisy. And I think uh, maybe swinging also cannot handle it. Lah, all right? Definitely, I will not be able to handle more than one Pastor Joseph. And so you realize that also, people are never easy to deal with because they are the cause, they can be the cause of much disunity, they can be the cause of much conflict within the community. And you find that the Apostle Paul himself knew about this because in the passage that was read for us in, in, in Philippians, we see that he cited some examples of these people as he wrote to the Christians in Philippi. <coughs> and if you know the book of Philippians, you, you see the people that were kind of, you know, uh, that were causing a lot of disunity within the community. You read in chapter 1, <coughs> he tells us that there were the preachers who were opposing him. <coughs> Mind you, these were the preachers the Christian preachers, and yet they were opposing him. And then in chapter 3, we read about the false teachers. And then in chapter 4, he mentions these two ladies, Yodiah and Sintaiche. They were causing division within the church. But what were the argument all about? It wasn't mentioned. But nevertheless, it was so serious that Paul had to bring this up. 
So you see, people definitely living with others, with each other, is never an easy thing. But yet we are reminded in the words of scriptures from our Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 15, where Jesus tells us that we ought to be at peace with each other. And then again in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul says that we are to live at peace with everyone. So how then does it take for you and I to become a church that live out a worthy life of harmony and peace within the community? And this is where the Philippian passage comes in for us. Because we see here that Paul gives us the answer. And he tells us in verse 3 by saying this, we do this by counting others more significant than yourself. Count others more significant than yourself. Other versions puts it this way, you regard others as better. Now what Paul is simply trying to tell us here is simply this. It tells us that we need to humble ourselves, that we need to see others as better. Yes, you may be considered wiser, smarter, older, more mature, but Paul is saying here, no, you may be all of this. The person may be lesser than you, but you still see that person better as yourself. This is what it means to count, 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 what the Paul says, count others more significant than yourself. <clears throat> but here's the struggle for us humans, isn't it? You see, like the Pharisees in the gospel, you and I, we are not humble people. We like calling attention to ourselves. We don't like others to be better than us, as this is seen as a sign of weakness in the world's view. <clears throat> Contrast this with our culture's craving for publicity and fame. <clears throat> We live in a competitive world that worship only winners. We are rewarded for proudly asserting our values, even though our values may be wrong. So yes, demanding attention may bring about worldly visibility and success for you, but listen, it is not the clothing of Christ that we are called to put on. As Christians, we are all called to clothe ourselves with humility. <laughs> and using the Philippine passage then, we learn how we can remove pride, and this involves three basic steps. And here, if you have the, your Bible once again, can I invite you to look with me <laughs> as we look again to this passage in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul tells us that the first thing that we need to do is verse 3 and 4, where he says this, Do nothing from rivalry, or some versions say selfish ambition or conceit. Rather, let each of you look not only to his own interests. So the first step then, to clothe ourselves with humility, Paul says is to eradicate, is to remove self-centeredness. What then is self-centeredness? In simpler terms, self-centeredness can be explained as individualism. <laughs> you, me, I. It's focused all on you. The focus is only on you and not on other people. And self-centeredness or individualism is harmful to us in many ways. <laughs> Firstly, it is harmful because self-centeredness worships the self. 
Make sense? Self-centeredness says this. <coughs> I am first. I come first. My personal preference, my privacy, my priorities are more important than yours. Everything and everyone else is secondary. Can wait. I exist only for myself. I do not need others. That's what self-centeredness says. <coughs> the view that others are unimportant, the view that others need not be cared for, the view that only the self matters. <coughs> now, what is wrong <coughs> with the lyric of this song? <coughs> Next slide, please. <coughs> I left out a few words here, but I think you probably will know the song. This song is simply entitled Power of Your Love. I think some of us, we know this song very well, isn't it? <coughs> but what is wrong with the lyrics of this song? <coughs> Let's see whether you can fill in the blanks. Hold me close. Let your love surround you. Correct? No. Hey, why the me salah lah? Come go one side. <coughs> Alright? Hold me close. <coughs> Let your love surround me. Bring you near. Bring me. Me again. Draw me. Hey, hello. Cannot connect. Okay. Fail, okay, never mind. And as you, you la, as you, I, I rise up like an eagle and we will soar with you. No, and I will soar with you. Your spirit leads me on. Can you see what's wrong with this particular song? Now, don't get me wrong. <coughs> I'm not saying that we cannot sing this song. You know, this song's a beautiful song. You can sing it personally in your own personal quiet time. But in fact, we can even sing it in the church. But what I'm trying to propose to us, we must be careful <coughs> that whenever we sing songs like this that focus only on yourself, what happens is that you begin to think that as you come to church, God only cares for me. That God only loves me. That God only wants to provide for me. What about Carl? What about Danny? What about the rest of you? God doesn't care about you because it's only about me. <coughs> so you see the danger of exalting the self? You see the danger of self-centeredness? <coughs> and if you're not careful, this can creep into our worship. <coughs> and we can end up being so selfish and we think that God doesn't care for anybody, and as a result of that, we also don't care for others. <coughs> the second danger of self-centeredness is this, <coughs> that it, it, is not only, that it doesn't only view others as unimportant, self-centeredness view God as irrelevant. Put it in another way, self-centeredness exclude or exile God from your life. And the danger in excluding God is that we are saying, that God, I don't trust you in my enablement. I don't help you in your enablement to help me out of this current situation. When God is excluded in your life, you say to yourself, i rather rely on my own strength and my own ability. There's no need for God in my life. And you know, the moment we acquire this sort of attitude, that God is not important in my life, you know what will happen? The next thing we'll do is, we will stop reading the Bible. We will stop attending church. And perhaps 
when you look around, why are some of our members not here? <coughs> Perhaps it could be because they have fallen into this attitude, this mindset of self-centeredness, that God is not important in my life. <coughs> the warning then for us is this, that when God is absent, something or someone has to take its place, and that something can be the self. And when the self takes the place of God, or something else takes the place of God, the Bible says that this is idolatry. This is idolatry. So this is the second danger of self-centeredness. The third danger of self-centeredness is that self-centeredness undermines relationship and community living. You see, Paul stressed in verse 3 and 4, he says, consider others more significant than yourself. And also, he tells us to look at the interests of others. Not the interests of yourself, but look to the interests of others. In other words, Paul is telling us here, he's posing the question to you and I, do you look out for others in your group? Within our church in all saints, do you know of the fact that Danny has gone for an operation? Do we know that Auntie Elizabeth has also gone through an operation and has came out from hospital? Do we look out for them? Do we think of each other? Do we think of Stephen, who has gone back to Sri Lanka and his country is in a terrible situation? Do we think of people other than ourselves? Or are we so preoccupied with our own needs and our own concerns? You see, relationship with one another is important. Why? Because that's the only way you and I, we can grow towards Christ-likeness. And that's why the church exists. <coughs> the church exists so that you and I, we can gather together and care for one another. The church exists, it's not for you to just come to church, do your own thing, go back home. No. The church exists so that we can communicate and have community. You see, when your focus is on the self and you choose not to include others, <coughs> you end up being unhappy. And the Jewish parable <coughs> of the farmer's three wishes illustrates this point. <coughs> so let me tell you the story of this farmer's three wishes. <coughs> the story was told that there was an old Jewish farmer who was very poor. Together, he lived with his wife. <coughs> they were very old. And one day, <coughs> the angel of God came to them and approached them and told them, God has found favor in your eyes. And God, because of that, God is going to grant you three wishes. <coughs> wow, if you were the couple, you'd be excited, isn't it? God is going to grant you three wishes. But then, there's a catch. The angel continued to tell the old couple, whatever you wish for, your neighbor <coughs> will get double of what you wish for. So the couple was very excited when, you know, they, they heard about this. And so they decided, they talked about themselves, what should we wish for? And so they said, since they were very poor, they needed to live in comfort. So they wished that they would have a thousand kettles. <coughs> and true enough, the moment the, the, the farmer made that wish, he could hear outside his house the bleeding of goats, cows, sheep, and what have you. And true enough, as he opened the door, there was a whole bunch of animals just gathering outside. Excitedly, the farmer went up to the hill wanting to see where he can build a farm to store all this house, to, to store all his uh, uh, flocks. But as he went up the hill, as he looked 
beyond what do you think he saw? <coughs> he saw his neighbor. He saw his neighbor. Remember what, what, was the, what was the condition for the wish? What he wished for, <coughs> his neighbor would have double. And so as he saw, he said, his, his, his neighbor got more than him. And instead of rejoicing, he got, he got angry. <coughs> he went home, stormed, and was, was not happy about it. <coughs> well, days went by, and then the couple suddenly remembered <coughs> that they had two more wishes. <coughs> and so they discussed among themselves, and they said, yeah, being very old, there's no point being rich where we have no children, no heir. And so they decided, Lord, we wish that we'll have a son. <coughs> and no sooner that they wished this, the wife was pregnant, and nine months later, a baby boy, healthy boy, was born. Being excited, being a Jew, the man went to the synagogue. He wanted to testify, you know, just as many of you, when God has healed you, you will testify. And so he testified that God has granted him a baby boy. And then he sat down. But the moment he sat down, guess who stood up? His neighbor. <coughs> His neighbor got up and shed. He also wanted to testify. He wanted to testify the goodness of God that he has a twin. This time round, the farmer was so frustrated. He was so angry. He went home. <coughs> he couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. He thought about it long and hard. And then finally, he says, I have one more wish. <coughs> and this is what I'm going to wish for. What do you think he wished? <coughs> what do you think he wished? He wished this. <coughs> he said, God, <coughs> my last wish is that I will be blind in one of my eyes. Why? Why? So that his neighbor will be blind in two eyes and not be able to see the happiness of his twins. What the story continues to say, <coughs> that the angel approached <coughs> the farmer and told him this, God will not grant you this wish. Not that God cannot grant you this wish. Not that God is not able to give you this wish. God will not grant you this wish because of your selfishness of your heart. <coughs> what this story tells us is that unhappiness overtakes us the moment we stop thinking of others and we only start to think of yourself. You see, the way you want to receive true joy, the Bible teaches us, <coughs> the secret lies in the word J-O-Y, joy. No wonder Pastor Joseph is joyful. And what does J-O-Y stands for? <coughs> Jesus, others, you. You want to find true joy? You put Jesus first. You put others second. And you put yourself last. That's where you will find true joy. J-O-Y. <coughs> so the first step, eradicate self-centeredness. <coughs> the second step, is to embrace humility. You see, it's no good to remove something, to leave it where it is. We need to fill it with something better, isn't it? Because if you remove it and you don't do anything, that bad habit, that old life can always come back. So Paul says the next thing that we need to do, once you eradicate self-centeredness, you need to embrace <coughs> humility. And to embrace humility simply means we welcome it. It is very much like the way we embrace someone that we love whom we have not seen for a long time with a hug. But unfortunately, 
people, you and I, we don't seem to embrace humility. Why? Because we don't, we, we often have this mistaken concept of what humility is. We view humility as something being put down. It's a sign of weakness. But church, know that the Bible has a very different understanding of humility. The Bible teaches us that humility is that notion of, yes, we lower ourselves, but we lower ourselves in such a manner as to attain a place of lowliness so much so that this, in turn, will lead to greatness in God's sight. And Bible verses have supported this. Matthew <coughs> chapter 18, verse 4 says that whoever humbles himself as the child of God is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James 4 tells us that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 29 verse 23 says, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honour. So let's not despise humility. Let's embrace humility. And to do a check, let's see how good we are in able to embrace humility. Let's do a simple checklist, okay? Let's do a simple checklist. You see, you will be truly, you, you find that you truly embrace humility if, first and foremost, number one, you are readily to admit your own fault. How many of you are ready to admit your fault? Or is it that we, you know, we point fingers at one another, you know? How many are ready to, to admit your own fault? Or, you know, when someone corrects you, you insist that you are always correct. You are never wrong. If you insist that you're always correct, you're never wrong, then I'm afraid you are not ready to embrace humility. <laughs> you, are real, you are truly embracing humility if you recognize the strength and the success of others. <laughs> are others better than you? Are others, you know, others may not be as capable as you, but they may be promoted ahead of you. If you are truly humble, you will embrace humility, you will recognize their success, you will rejoice with them, you will celebrate with them, you will not get upset with them. You will truly embrace humility if you learn to submit to proper authority, where you will willingly obey and not resist. You will know your place and you will stay there. <coughs> and you will learn and you will be ready to accept any correction and not justify your actions and anything like that. And lastly, you will embrace humility when you learn to associate with people of lower state than you. <clears throat> so that's the second step. Embrace humility. We come now to the third step where Paul teaches us that if we want to remove pride, we want to have this humility which is a life that is worthy of God's calling, then what we need to do, <coughs> we need to learn to emulate or to follow the example of Christ. In verse 5, Paul says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And in the next few verses, you find how Paul shows Christ's selflessness <coughs> and humility. He says in verse 6, that Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus did not seek the attention or the power. Unlike the devil, who craved for power and position, Jesus was never power-hungry at all. Though He was the Son of God, He was willing to give up His high position and title just for you and I. 
How many of us are willing to do this? <coughs> you see, there's something about power that makes you and I not wanting to submit to authority, isn't it? We don't like <coughs> to be controlled. We want to control. But Paul tells us in, in Romans 12 verse 6, be willing to associate with people of low position. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus often associates himself with people like this, isn't it? He associated with the sinners, he ate with them, he talked with them, and unfortunately, this has led to many accusing him of being a glutton and a drunkard. We also see Jesus associating himself with people of low position, not wanting to seek power. He often, you know, mixed with his disciples. And one of the things that he did was that he set aside his position and he was willing to wash the feet of his disciples. <laughs> so when it comes to dealing with people, this act of humility is something that you and I, we must learn to emulate from Jesus. <clears throat> Next, Paul tells us that we learn to follow, imitate Christ by his service. Verse 7 says, by make himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. <clears throat> you know, Jesus is one person who walks the talk. You know, very often for us, we can say one thing, but we often find it difficult to follow this up by the doing. For example, you know, in the new year, many of you may make resolution. You say you want to lose weight, you want to spend less, you want to read your Bible more. That's the easy part. Saying it is very easy. Isn't that true? But it, it, it's getting down to the nitty-gritty. That's where we all struggle. But we find that Jesus, when it comes to the practical, He truly became a servant. He walked the talk. He not only mentioned this, but he demonstrated this. <coughs> How? Paul tells us, he says, look in verse 7. How did he show that he, he, he really came to serve? Verse 7 says that he emptied himself. He became a slave. He became a human. He obeyed God. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says that even the son of man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what are the areas that you and I can serve in? Thirdly, we follow the example of Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 8 says, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. <laughs> Learn to imitate the costly sacrifice of Jesus. People are willing to serve if it does not cost them anything. But when there's a price to pay, very often people will say, you know, I'm not interested. But in the words of Dr. John H. Joab, he says this, that ministry that costs nothing accomplish nothing. Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life. Are we willing to sacrifice our time, our possession? Because if there's any blessing, there must be some bleeding. And lastly, we emulate the example of Christ by learning to seek out others. Verse 7 says, Jesus was made in human likeness. He was found in the appearance of man. <laughs> you see, Jesus became one of us so as to seek us out, to find the lost and to bring us home. Like the good shepherd who sought those who have fallen or drifted away, we need to be like the good shepherd. We need to learn how to think of those who are in need, who are struggling and who are requiring a helping hand. So as we close... 
We learn today that to live a humble life that is worthy of our calling is first to regard others <coughs> as better. Let us not be like the Pharisee who looked down on the tax collector, but rather let's learn to be like our servant king who gave himself. So let us today learn to count others more significant. And we do these three things by eradicating self-centeredness, by embracing humility, and by emulating Christ's example. Let us pray. <coughs> Father, we want to thank you for your message, for reminding us the importance of why humility is something that you desire of us. Because you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And that is an act of humility. <coughs> and we, if we are to be in your kingdom, your word reminds us that you only seek those who are humble. So Father, this evening as we hear your word, as we desire to live out this life that is worthy of the calling, teach us first <coughs> and foremost to be humble. And for many of us, maybe the humble checklist, some of us, we may be struggling in those areas. Today, as you hear the word, you know, if the word is, if the Lord is speaking to you and the Holy Spirit is prompting you, you, need, you know you need to change these areas in your life. <coughs> know that the Holy Spirit is able to help us to change what is old, what is negative, what is bad to change into what is good and what is positive. So if there's any areas that you are struggling this evening, wherever you are, would you just surrender it to the Lord and start afresh this year to say, yes, Lord, I want to live this humble life. The areas that I'm struggling, Lord, would you remove it and take it away? So, Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us.